So maybe you've been doing infection prevention now for several months or even several years, and you know that there are several components that make up an effective infection prevention program, and I've been talking about these throughout the last several months um, in my podcast. So today we're going to talk about something else that is essential for your infection prevention program, and it may be something that you are missing or that you have overlooked. So stay tuned as we talk about this one essential component that every infection prevention program needs. Do you want to learn the basics of infection prevention in a new and interesting way? Then I have a message for you. My name is Missy Travis and I help leaders and other infection preventionists learn the primary concepts of infection prevention without ever leaving their desk. I've spent the past several years working as a certified infection preventionist, and now I want to help others learn to manage their infection prevention program by connecting the dots with insight and experience. In short, I want to be your mentor. A mentor provides insider information that you just can't get from a book. If you are serious about becoming an expert or just expanding your knowledge in the area of infection prevention, join me here on the IP Mentor Podcast each week where I will provide relevant information that you can apply to your daily activities. Over the past several months, we've talked about all those essential components of an effective infection prevention program. We've talked about doing your um, annual assessment. Then we've talked about using that annual assessment to do your risk assessment and your plan and also your um, set your goals for the new year. So those are the building blocks of an infection prevention program. But there's one more step. And we're going to talk about that step today. And that step is oversight of the infection prevention program. And you might be thinking, well, I'm the infection preventionist. I'm overseeing the program. And that is true, but you need to have another level of oversight. And that comes in when you establish an infection prevention committee. And I know, I know we're all on multiple committees and you don't want to go to another meeting. I hear you. I've been there. Um, But this is very important for your program because you need a group of multidisciplinary job roles looking at your program, evaluating your data, giving you feedback, and that's what's going to establish more buy-in for your program. It's also going to give you insight from those other departments and knowledge from those other departments. And so it's very important to have this oversight committee, not to mention that many of your regulatory groups do require that not only you have an oversight committee, but that you are actually keeping minutes from that oversight committee so that they can see that it is a collaborative approach whenever you are implementing your infection prevention program. 
So let's talk about this committee to, to, today. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some of you, you're already going to multiple committee meetings. And there's nothing that says that you can't use one of those other committees as your infection prevention committee as well. And I've used this model, especially when I've worked in smaller facilities where we've combined infection prevention with quality or we've combined infection prevention with environment of care. So you definitely can use that model, especially if you are a smaller facility. Now, I caution you on doing this if you're a larger facility or if you have a lot of issues going on right now in your facility. Um, because what happens is when you combine it with another group, you're only getting, you know, maybe half of the time. And you may need an enti entire hour to go through all the things that are going on in your infection prevention program. So I will say that having a committee dedicated to infection prevention definitely has value because you can spend that entire hour talking about infection prevention. But logistically and practically, I can understand why it might make more sense for some facilities to combine it with another group, just because a lot of times you have the same people attending these meetings. And we're going to talk in just a few minutes what groups of people I recommend to be on your committee. But many times it's the same people going to the quality committee, going to the environment of care committee, and going to the infection prevention committee. So definitely from a logistics standpoint, and also when you are thinking about it practically and the time that people have to be in committee meetings, it might make more sense for you to combine it with another committee. So if you already have a committee in place, that is great. This is just going to be um, a podcast where you can learn another, uh, a few more tips about having a committee meeting and maybe verifying the people who are already on your committee. If you don't have a committee, then we're going to talk about how to get the committee together and how you can create one. And where that starts is establishing first who needs to be on the committee. And so let's talk about the various groups that I would recommend to be on your committee. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list. This is really just to give you an idea of who should be on the committee. But depending on the type of facility um, where you are the infection preventionist, you may want to add some people or some of these positions may not be available at your facility or it might be that you have someone who does uh, who supervises multiple departments and they may just that person might be able to come to the committee to represent all of those departments. So let's talk about these. So first, I would recommend nursing. And it can be a leader in nursing, or it can be someone who's in middle management. Um, typically, it's really hard to get a frontline person from nursing, although that would be wonderful if you have someone who could commit to coming to the meeting that is from the frontline. I always feel like we get some of our best feedback from frontline nurses or someone in the nursing department. But in my experience, what I found is usually this is someone who is a supervisor, a manager, or it's someone at the administrative level for nursing. And you can have multiple people people 
it, from that department. And sometimes it is better to have at least two people. And then that way, if one person is sick or they have a conflict, then the other person can be there. And you always have someone from the nursing department because that is very important for infection prevention. Next, I would recommend someone from quality, um, mainly because infection prevention works very closely with the quality department, and sometimes the metrics that we are looking at overlap, or there's times that you can look at some of the metrics they're already collecting in the quality department. And many times people who work in quality are very good at process improvement. They're good at looking at goals and helping you establish goals. So it's just, it's, a, it's very valuable to have people with those skill sets on your committee. Of course, you need someone from administration because many times you're making decisions. And so you need someone who is a decision maker at, to sit at the table with you so that you can make those decisions during the committee meeting and you're not having to wait for things to be decided upon. You want someone from plant operations or maintenance. This is really important because you always want to be in the loop whenever projects are going on inside your facility where they're altering the uh, building at all. You want to know what's going on, but also it's important because you want to know what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, if they're getting into the ceiling, if they are doing some minor projects where they have to do sanding or take up flooring, it's just really good to have their perspective. Um, plus, it's also good to know um, what the, uh, many times they're in charge of some of the emergency plans. Um, if you have a pipe that bursts or if you have um, a water shortage. And so it's good to have those people available to talk to and to work through those things with safety and risk management. Sometimes these will be in different departments. You'll have a safety officer and a risk manager. Sometimes the risk manager is the safety officer or they're uh, combined into one department. It's really great to have these folks on board because many times they're going to be getting incident reports about things that are pertinent to infection prevention. In one of my prior roles, I um, actually supervised risk management, safety, and infection prevention, which was a really big role, but I came to appreciate um, how much that the risk management and safety side can interact with infection prevention because many times, just similar to quality, they are getting some metrics that could influence infection prevention. And many times they're going to see um, some of the things that have happened on the uh, risk management side that could influence the infection prevention side. And I'm thinking here um, mainly about in surgery, you know, they're the ones who typically know if something has happened in surgery, like to the sterile field, or if, you know, something was left inside of a body cavity. That a lot of times is going to go to risk management first, um, but we want to know about those things in infection prevention. 
you want someone from the medical staff. Um, similar to nursing, the medical staff, they're on the front line. It's critical that we have their buy-in and that we get their feedback about the things that we're proposing in infection prevention because they're going to be the ones to tell us, is that a practical approach? Is that something that we can actually do? Plus, they have the knowledge and the skills um, to be able to give us advice on some things as well. Um, therapy, if you are doing therapy in your facility, so if you have physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, respiratory therapy, um, these therapists can give us that valuable insight as well. And if they're all in the same department, you could just have one therapy um, representative or two therapy representatives, but it's important to have them included in the group as well. And I've found specifically with therapy that many times they are doing things um, that maybe you haven't thought about. Um, and what I'm thinking about specifically is the tools that they use. They have a lot of tools that they use in therapy. And until I really started looking at this field, I didn't realize how many tools they have and they have to reuse those on multiple people and sometimes they're small tools and so really understanding their cleaning and disinfection processes um, can be important and plus a lot of times they have people coming in and out of the therapy gym and so cleaning and spacing um, is very important for them to understand and also for you to understand in terms of their process flow. The lab, specifically the microbiology lab, if you can get a representative um, to be on your committee is another important participant because they are going to be the ones to help you understand, again, some logistics whenever you're talking about getting cultures back, um, if you're looking at contamination rates of your cultures, um, they can really shed some light on those processes and what's going on from the lab side. Surgery, as I mentioned, um, you know, many times um, there's things going on in surgery because there's so many different components of infection prevention because they're doing sterilization, they're doing high-level disinfection, they're trying to maintain a sterile field. And so surgery is um, definitely an area that if you do surgery in your facility that you want to make sure that they have a seat at the table. Um, environmental services or housekeeping. These are some of your best friends, so it's important that you have a relationship with them and that they also are sitting at the table because the Infection Prevention Committee needs to approve the disinfectants that are being used in your facility, and it's important to have the people who are actually using those disinfectants be at the table so, again, that you know the practical application of the things that you are recommending. Diagnostic imaging or radiology, um, this group is important because similar to um, some of your other ancillary departments, um, they are also doing procedures that may require high-level disinfection. And sometimes I've found they don't even realize what they're doing is high-level disinfection when you just, you know, sometimes an infection prevention will just throw out there, okay, I need to go to all the areas where they're doing high-level disinfection. They don't even realize that is what they are doing. And so it's important to have them there as well. And then pharmacy is a, is a critical group also to the Infection Prevention Committee because many times they are helping you with your antibiotic stewardship program or they may even be the ones who are managing the infection prevention 
uh, component of the antibiotic stewardship program. So it's important for them to be involved as well because many times we are talking about multi-drug resistant organisms. We're talking about antibiotic stewardship. So it's important to have them at the table as well. And so that's the end of the list that I have recommended. As I said, you can add people to that list. You know what's best for your facility and what's going on in your facility. But what's most important is that you have decision makers at the table and you also have people there that have um, a close relationship with the front line. If you don't have people from the front line, you need people who have a close relationship to the front line and who can really give you an idea of what is practical and what is going to work for your facility because you don't want to be making recommendations and approving policies that are not going to work for your facility and the people who know if they're going to work are the ones who are actually going to be carrying out those policies and procedures. So now that we've talked about who should be on your committee, let's talk about meeting. And typically I would say this meeting is going to last about an hour and you may want to meet frequently if you are having a problem right now or if you're having an outbreak. Um, so you might want to meet monthly at the beginning as you're just starting to get things going and everyone's, especially if this committee is brand new, um, as things start to get more uh, relaxed or as you know your program, you start to learn more and you feel like you have things under better control, you could move to every other month or even to quarterly. Um, just depending on what's going on in your facility. Um, but there's really nothing out there that says you have to meet at this specific time. Um, but typically it is quarterly um, is what I see in most facilities. Unless, like I said, that you have to have, um, you know, you have to, you're having problems and you want to meet more frequently. And as I said, you know, I don't know of anything right offhand that says you have to meet at a certain amount of time, but I always encourage you to check your state guidelines and check the requirements for your facility because there sometimes can be little caveats. Um, and if there is something that's that prescriptive, you want to be aware of it so that you uh, can be sure that you are in compliance. And then the other, another couple of tips that I just want to share quickly is I like to develop a standing agenda. Um, so that way your committee members know that at every meeting, these are the things that we are going to discuss. And it also makes it so much easier for you when you're preparing for the committee because you already have your standard list of items that you know you're going to be covering. And that makes it so much easier for you when you talk in terms of planning and when you're creating reports, you know what it is that you're going to be reporting to the committee. And if it stays the same every time, then that makes it much easier for your process flow as well. Um, and if you get my emails, um, I do have a free sample of an agenda um, just that I've used in the past that will make it easier for you when you go to create your own agenda. And then after you have your agenda set and your committee members, it's really just about sending out the emails, setting a time when most of the people can come, and then just doing it, just having your first committee meeting. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, 
most people are going to keep minutes for this meeting because you want to capture all the things that were discussed and all the things that were approved. And so you want to establish who's going to take the minutes for the meeting, and then you want to make sure that those get distributed shortly after the meeting while everything is still fresh on everyone's mind. Now, I will say that um, I've been in some facilities where I've been the one who's taking the minutes. Um, I've been in other facilities where someone else is taking the minutes. So you can do it either way. I will say it is easier if someone else takes the minutes, especially if you're the one leading the meeting. If you're the leader of the meeting, it's very hard to lead the meeting effectively and really engage in the conversations and take minutes because you're constantly trying to think about what did that person say and take minutes. So if at all possible, I would see if someone else can take minutes for you or take notes for you. Um, during that meeting. But if not, it can be done. Um, It's just a little bit more difficult if you're doing both. And so that's a really good, um, you know, quick wrap up of an infection prevention committee in a nutshell, what you need, who needs to be on the committee. And so if you don't have a committee, take these notes, go establish your committee. If you already have a committee, then hopefully this has just been a good review for you and um, just to kind of reinforce what you're already doing or possibly give you some ideas going forward. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And remember, I'm here to help you become an IP expert by teaching you practical skills that you can't learn from a book. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. I am here to help you increase your infection prevention IQ as well as gain insights about infection prevention that you won't hear from anywhere else. So I hope to have you back here next week. Hey IP, do you want to start the year 2022 strong? If so, the next few episodes are for you. We are going to be talking about how to kick off the year right in infection prevention. I'm Missy Travis, a certified infection preventionist and the creator of the IP Mentor Educational Series. Today, we are going to discuss the three main items that you need to get in place to start your year off strong. So stay tuned as I teach you practical tips and skills for becoming an expert infection preventionist. So here we are, another new year, and I'm excited to start a new year. Um, I love starting. Um, I just feel like it's a fresh, a fresh new start. We have a clean slate, even though there's many things going on in infection prevention. That's just our life as infection preventionists. Am I right? We always have things going on um, each year whenever we start the year. There's so many things going on in the background. But I want to talk about in the next few sessions about how we can really be strategic and how we can get focused so that we can have our strongest year 
yet. And that's what I want for you as an infection preventionist. I want you to be prepared. I want you to be able to have the best year that you've had. And so we're going to talk about specifically in this episode, the three items that I think are critical to every infection prevention program if you want to have the best year. So we're going to talk about those three things. And You've probably heard of these before. You may have heard them called something differently, Um, but we're going to talk about the three things that I believe are necessary and that I've created myself as an infection preventionist and implemented over the years for my infection prevention programs. So the first thing is an annual evaluation from the prior year. And so this is critical because if you don't look at your data from the prior year, it's hard to know what issues you had, where you performed well, what you really need to focus on in the new year. And so before you get started on making any plans for the new year, I recommend that you evaluate the prior year. What infections um, did you have? Where did you see some increases? Where did you see some decreases? Um, Looking at your performance measures, where did you perform well? Um, Maybe you looked at hand hygiene. Maybe you were looking at personal protective equipment compliance, isolation compliance. Look at all of those different data points. You also might want to look at your environment of care rounds and where were some areas that you identified some issues. And then this is also a good time for you to evaluate your goals. Did you achieve your goals for the prior year? Um, What are some things that you still need to look at in this new year? So I really think that is your first step is to look at the prior year. Um, so that you know where you need to focus for the new year. The second thing is conducting a risk assessment for the new year. And it's really hard to do the risk assessment if you haven't done that annual evaluation. Because with the risk assessment, you are actually going through and rating different items for your infection prevention program. And it's hard to rate those items if you don't know where you are currently. And the only way that you're going to know where you are currently is, you guessed it, doing that annual evaluation. And so I like to do these sequentially. I think it makes more sense to do it sequentially. And so the first part of the sequence is that annual evaluation. Where are we? How did we perform uh, the prior year? The second step is the risk assessment where we're going to go through, look at all the different uh, components of our infection prevention program, rate those, and that's how we really identify what our priorities are for the year. Because if you don't identify your priorities and where you need to focus your time, you're never going to get organized for the year. And as an infection preventionist, we get pulled in many different directions. And I know I'm not telling you anything new. If you've been an infection preventionist for any amount of time, you know this. We get pulled in multiple directions. And so if you don't have a clear priority list and a clear direction for where you're going in your infection prevention program, other people will tell you where to go. They can quickly fill up your priority list, and I know this from experience. You have people constantly asking you to help them 
work on this prog- program or work on this problem. And so if you don't have that clear direction based on your historical data, based on your risk assessment, you will quickly get off track. And I've seen this happen to other infection preventionists. This has happened to me throughout my career. I find that when I have a successful year, it's because I've set a clear direction and then I've stayed on that path. That's not to say that things are not going to come up and that you're going to have to address things. Emergencies come up. You know, in 2020, in uh, 2020, we all had, uh, we all got hit with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so that definitely derailed our infection prevention programs. But if you had a clear path in place, you knew um, in general where you were going and you just had to make some changes by adding COVID-19 into that plan. If you didn't have a plan, then it probably took over your entire life and you didn't get anything else accomplished that year. And so it really does make a difference to have um, a clear path in place. And that leads me to my final um, item that I want to discuss, and that's the infection prevention plan and goals for the new year. And your infection prevention plan and goals are going to be based on those two items that we've already talked about, that annual evaluation from the prior year where you determined where you have some issues or some goals that you didn't meet that maybe you need to carry over to the next year. And then that risk assessment where you identify where are your risks, where are you still not performing effectively, or where has there been something new that has emerged. Um, that you need to address for the new year. So when you're creating your infection prevention plan and your goals, you want to base it on that historical data and on that risk assessment. You may also pull in some new requirements, um, some state laws. Um, All of those things are going to contribute to that new plan and those goals that you set for the year. But if you do this process sequentially, it will help you identify um, the things that you really want to focus on and the things that you need to focus on, um, either based on your performance or based on what is required uh, for you. And it is a methodical way to develop your program so that you are following Um, in a certain path and you're not just haphazardly pulling things in to look at. You really have gone through a systematic review. You have identified what are the things that are most important for your program this year and then you set your priorities and you set your goals accordingly. And I found that this process is so helpful throughout your year because when you do have people pulling at you in those different directions, you can go back to this process that you went through and explain to them why you are focused on hand hygiene for this year, why you are focused on isolation, why you're focused on a certain infection. It's because you went through and intentionally looked at your data. And then the other thing is, is once you have these things developed, you want to be sure that you take it to your infection prevention committee and get approval, get buy-in from the people on that committee. And so now you have set the course. And so whenever something comes up throughout the year, you go back to that 
you know, when you start to get off track and maybe um, someone wants to take you in a different direction, you pull them back to this is what we established for as our plan for this year based on these things. And it got approval from the committee. And so I'm going to stay on this course and this is what we're going to stay focused on for the year. So it really helps you in terms of people pulling you in other directions because you have a clear plan that has been approved by the committee, by your team. And now all you have to do is implement that plan and look for those goals. Um, if you've been following me for any amount of time, you know that I have a program called the IP Mentor Program. And part of that program, we I actually walk you through how to do this process how to do an annual evaluation, how to then do the risk assessment, and then do your plan and goals. And so if you haven't had a chance to check that out, I do encourage you to do that. And I will be sure to put the link to that in the notes from today's show. But if you already have a, a plan, if you already have a risk assessment, you already have an annual evaluation process, use what you already have and just build on that. Just make sure that you're walking through that process and really capturing all the different components of your infection prevention program. And I guarantee that you are going to have a much more productive year. You're going to feel more organized and you're not going to feel like you're being pulled in so many different directions when you have that clear path for the year. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And remember that I'm here to help you become an infection prevention expert by teaching you practical skills that you can't learn from a book. See you next time.